So good morning listeners and welcome to Come and See Inspirations being produced here in our Come and See studio here in Erda. And it's the 15th of September, it's actually the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley and again I'd like to especially welcome those listeners who are housebound, lonely or struggling in some way today. And of course our listeners who support us each week in prayer. Thank you much, so much for staying with us and for your encouragement as we meet you about Newcastle West and emails and texts that you give us. Thank you so much. Our programme, as people would maybe be aware at this particular stage, is broadcast on Sacred Space at West Limit 102 FM at 10am and 11pm each Sunday. And it's available for download on commentsyinspirations.buzzsprout.com. I know there is a connection, I always say, in regard to our blog, uh, sacredspace102 at blogspot.com. But maybe at this stage what I should do is to introduce... Uh, my, my colleague who has been away studying, I think, while the rest of us have been studying ourselves in various parts of the world. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to welcome back again onto the programme, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, John. And how are we keeping? Thank you very much indeed. Now, I did mention to listeners last week, um, when we decided to make a few little changes to the blog, very briefly. Mm. Can you just tell us briefly what it's about? We can go into detail a bit more later on, but... Sure. Just very briefly, um, on the 3rd of September, we hit our decade on the blog and we have decided to retire it. Um, so the blog, the online blog itself is no longer going to be updated. It'll still be there. It's an archive of 10 years of our work. Um, but we're going to focus more on the podcasts uh, and the recordings on Come and See Inspirations at, on Buzzsprout because that was the original idea for the blog, which was to make sure that the recordings of the radio program would be available online. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so we've made a decision. Um, as people know, there's been a change in the team with Lorraine uh, heading off. And just for the practicalities of life, it, it's no longer, I suppose, feasible for us to, be able to maintain everything. So we're just going to refocus back on the program and the delivery of the program itself and uh, focus then more on the podcast page. And we'll, the blog will be there. It'll be you know, evidence of our work for 10 years and our small contribution to the new evangelization, but we're going to continue just with the program itself and the podcast of the program. Well put. Thanks, th thanks so much for that, Shane. And, of course, if you, if you do want to contact us, you can still text us, and that's an 87 That's 87 Or you can email us, and that's at sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Now, Shane, you're back again, back into where you left off maybe a few months ago. We're not going to ask you to go back over the last few months and tell us who the saints were. However, this week, who should we look forward to in terms of saints this week, Shane? So we're into the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time. So it's the 25th week, the 24th week in Ordinary Time. Hard to believe the year is passing by so quick. We're into the third week of September. So for those praying the Psalter, we're on week four. Now, saints-wise this week, John, a couple of interesting ones. So today's Sunday, uh, the 15th is usually the feast day of Our Lady of Sorrows, Our Lady of Dolores, the Seven Dolores. That's not celebrated this year because obviously it's Sunday, it takes precedence. Monday is St. Cornelius' and St. Cyprian. Cornelius was one of the early popes, died in exile. And oddly enough, his patronage is cattle and domestic animals. Now I'm still trying to figure out why he has that one. It's a weird one. Uh, Cyprian, Cyprian was the Bishop of Carthage. And he was a teacher and preacher, and both of them were martyrs for the faith. Tuesday is one of the great doctors of the church, Robert Bellemar. Um, he was, uh, he's a saint of the 1500s, a Jesuit. Uh, he was cardinal bishop of the church. 
And this man, when you look at his biography, he was involved in this controversy, he was involved in that controversy, he defended the Pope against this heresy and all the rest of it, very much involved with counter-reformation. Uh, so he's one of the, one of the more uh, famous uh, Jesuit saints on the church's calendar. That's Robert Bellamine, Bellamine even. Uh, Wednesday the 18th, I always like to give a little plug for this one, John. It's St. Joseph of Cupertina. Now, Joseph Cupertina, in, at least in West Limerick, is generally more associated as the patron saint for students sitting exams. And as we start back into the school year, probably no harm to start having a little chat with him. Uh, saint, very much associated with the Franciscan family, didn't have much education, but eventually, after many struggles, was ordained a priest, subject to visions and uh, locutions and levitation. Uh, as, and, uh, but, and, but it was, even despite his lack of education, was known to be able to solve very complex and intricate problems. Thursday is the Feast of St. Janarius. Now, this guy's an interesting one, John, because he's still around. Uh, despite the fact that he died in 305 in Naples with six companions. Uh -huh. He's still knocking around the woods because on his feast day and on the second, I think it's the second Saturday of May each year, there is a vial of his blood taken from the sacristy in C Naples Cathedral and it is drawn near to his the other relics of his that are kept in the cathedral and it liquefies. So it goes from powder to liquid. And it's, it's, it's a tradition in the city of Naples. It's a huge deal. All the mayor, even the communists, have turned up to see the tradition of, of the blood. And generally, the years where it doesn't liquefy, that's when Naples gets worried. Because generally, it means they're either going to have a volcanic eruption, or there could be an earthquake, or some other disaster is going to fall to the city. And interestingly enough, uh, Pope Francis was there, uh, I think it was three years ago, uh, for that particular uh, event. Then on Friday, we have the Korean martyrs. So it's St. Andrew Kim Taegon and St. Paul Kong Han Sang. And there was 101 of others of them, and they were martyred during the persecutions of the church in Korea in the 1800s. And I suppose as we remember those martyrs in the 1800s, we should also remember the Christians who were persecuted in, in, in today uh, in China, in Vietnam, in North Korea, um, and it's interesting, they, see, they say, there's a great expression from Tertullian, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And one of the places in the world where the church is growing hugely at the moment is actually in South Korea. And finally, John, on the 21st, which is next Saturday, we have the feast day of St. Matthew, Apostle and Evangelists. And I was always wondering, because I used to work in tax myself as a tax, a tax accountant, and use, the 21st of September is the tax filing deadline for companies. And I always found it a coincidence because, of course, St. Matthew was a tax collector. Thank you very much for that, Shane. Um, yes. Actually, um, right at the beginning of the year, each year, we picked patron saints for ourselves, uh, maybe to get in contact with. Actually, I got St. Saint, Matthew this year. And I must confess, I haven't been staying in touch with St. Matthew as much as I should do. I must, uh, I must really get to work on that. Shane, thank you so much for sharing the science with us. Just a little comment to listeners. Myself, Shane, and Lorraine had a, had a, had a cup of tea there recently, and just a remark that myself and Lorraine came up with. How do you do it, Shane? How do you just roll off the science like that in a few minutes? Myself and Lorraine will be there for days and days and days trying to roll up these science. And just like that, off you come and list them off. <laughs> thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for that, Shem. Thanks. Great to have you back again for that. 
Now, at this part of the programme, just we go for our first bit of music, there's a spiritual communion prayer that we always pray, especially for those of our listeners, and there are quite a few of them, who can't get to Mass this morning for one reason or the other, but maybe would like to pray this prayer with us. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So now we'll go for our first bit of music, and this one is by Caddy Landry, and it's entitled Circle Us, O God. In part two um, of the programme this week, I, I played t- uh, two particular talks that were given at the Nock Shrine Novena um, just a few weeks ago, but there's more about that in part two. But in the meantime, we'll listen to Circle Us, O God by Caddy Landry. Welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. At this part of the programme, I'd like to play some recordings that I made at the recent novena in Knock to a Lady of Knock, which took place um, from the 14th to the 22nd of August. There was a very good lineup of speakers who took part, and today we'd like to play two of those talks. Both of the talks were given by women who spoke of their faith. To start with, Carol Coleman spoke on the theme Motherhood, Media and Me. Carol Coleman is an experienced multimedia journalist. Carol is well known to Irish audiences as the former Washington correspondent and education and environment correspondent at RTE. She's currently a presenter and reporter on This Week on RTE Radio 1. So we invite you to listen to Carol, and then we'll play a short piece of instrumental music to allow some time for reflection. And the piece of music we've chosen this morning is from the Maranatha Singers, and the piece of music is entitled The Worship Song. Friends, the Gospel 
encourages us to, Jesus encourages us to always be witnesses, to be his disciples. We can be disciples in terms of actually proclaiming the word of God within our lives. For example, you could be witnesses by simply being here today. Somebody might have asked you, well, where are you going today? Might have responded, knock. Now that could elicit a number of different types of responses, like fair play, wonderful, don't forget me, to what's taking you to that place. It could be a whole wide range of different uh, reactions to that, but it's a witness nonetheless. We are his disciples and we're called to be witnesses. We're called to explore that in our own lives, whether it's personally being here today, in our homes, where we work, how we live, and indeed publicly, but not by being disciples and calling others to discipleship by maybe being uh, judgmental. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to simply express our faith, express it in the world around us. And we do that courageously, sometimes as the uh, oft-quoted St. Francis of Assisi is said to have said, uh, always proclaim the gospel and when necessary, use words. So we're called to do that within our lives. We're called, each of us, to teach in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in these ways, today we have as our guest speaker someone who practices that within motherhood, within media, and within herself, Carl Coleman. Hello, everybody. What a joy it is for me to be here with you today to help you celebrate this novena to Our Lady of Knock. My talk, as Father Gibbon said, is entitled Motherhood, Media and Me, because first off, I'm a wife and a mother, and secondly, I happen to work in the media, which influences so much of our lives. We now spend several hours a day engaged with media of some sort, be that radio, television, newspaper, or online. Let me tell you a little bit first about my house. I was born in London, grew up in Leitrim, and went to boarding school in Newtown Forbes in Longford. My husband was born in the windy city of Chicago, and our two daughters were born in Russia. Every day I thank God for bringing us together as a family. For us four to have come from such disparate places and still to feel like we were always meant to be together is one of the miracles that feeds my faith. So what is my faith? Well, for me, it's a feeling really of contentment and balance inside me. And I think that comes from my belief that there is a power much greater than myself directing everything that happens. But my faith is also about knowing my purpose in all of this. Growing up in a Catholic home in County Leitrim and a convent boarding school in County Longford, I certainly believed that God had a plan for me, although back then I was more into dreams, I think, than plans. And my girlhood dream was that I would travel the world and I'd live in a hotel and I'd never have to cook or clean. I'd just go to interesting places and meet interesting people, explore the world. I loved when I was a child hearing the names of faraway places like Vladivostok and Chattanooga and Galilee. 
I didn't know then, of course, that I was going to be a journalist and that for a number of years, I would li live, literally live out of a suitcase as I traveled across America, Europe, parts of China, Russia, Venezuela, Mexico, Guatemala, to report on people and issues in those places. Then on September the 11th, 2001, I was in Washington, D.C. when terrorists flew airplanes into the Twin Towers and the Pentagon in Washington and a field in Pennsylvania, resulting in the deaths of two and a half thousand people. And that certainly tested all our faith. The fact that the attacks were carried out by people who claimed to do it in the name of their faith made it very hard to take. In the following months, I interviewed victims' families, firefighters, politicians, and eventually did come face to face with the then President of the United States, George W. Bush, from my reading that I knew him to be a person of faith. So in questioning him, I needed to know how he squared that faith with starting wars in Iraq and Afghanistan in retaliation for the attacks. We now know that hundreds of thousands of people have died as a result of these military interventions, and from the ruins in Iraq, it appears, emerged. Islamic State. So, sitting there face to face with the new US president, I suppose my girlhood dream of becoming this sort of high-flying traveler was working out. But was that all of God's plan for me? I was working hard to be sure, I was doing a good job, but it all seemed a bit self-serving. So when I'd pray, I would just pretend I was this big empty vessel and ask God to come and fill me with some kind of purpose. And different things started to happen then. Now, as a wife and a mother of two daughters, age 11 and 12, I now know that that bigger role that God had for me was to nurture and love. And I'm sure it's the same for many of you. It just took me an awful lot longer to figure it out. I get chills now when I watch our 12-year-old cooking for the whole family because I know that it's me or my husband or her grandparents that taught her or watching my younger girl dance or improvise routines, that gives me so much greater satisfaction than any radio broadcast. Of course, my kids that think that Mammy interviewing people on the radio and speaking at the Basilica is normal, and I like that too. I'm a woman and proud to be a strong role model for them. I do most of my praying now with the children. We thank God for what we have, and we pray to be kept safe for another night. My go-to woman in a panic has always been Mary. But now, when I pray the Hail Mary, the girls tell me, oh, Mum, don't say at the hour of our death. So for now, we've modified it to something a little bit more child-friendly because children don't want to be thinking about their death. They're thinking about the life that's ahead of them. In attempting to pass on my faith, I also realize that our children are growing up in a completely different world where many of their school friends are people of different religions, or maybe no religion at all. So we talk about our Muslim friends and how they must be really just like us, because in the end of the day, we all believe in this higher power. So to the second word of my title, which is media. I know many of you right now are thinking, well, you don't hear much about faith in the media. The daily news is almost entirely negative. The issues are so difficult. Churches of any denomination really are not particularly popular across the mass media. My 30-year career has been in what's called old media now, newspapers, radio and television. Over those years, 
I suppose the church, the Catholic Church worldwide, has received some very critical, yet crucial press. I was in college in the late 1980s when clerical abuse issues began to emerge into the public domain. That was bad news, and because it had been kept hidden for so long, it was a very big story. Many of the people who were my college contemporaries at the time went on to become writers and editors and producers. And of course, they went on to expose wrongdoing, not just in the church, but across society. To a certain extent, I think that my generation have probably been blinded to the good that happens every day in our churches. After all, it's we, you and I, who are the church, because without all of us, there is no church. Some people will even say to me, oh, those church revelations, they destroyed my faith. I tell them that my faith, my relationship with God, is far above any one institution. It's here, it's inside me. In my 30 years in journalism, I suppose we've also come through huge social change. Many religious schools and hospitals have been replaced by those with pluralist ethos. Last year, the Archbishop of Dublin, Dermot Martin, said on a radio program that I was working on that it's probably no longer tenable to have maternity hospitals that are, quote, wholly governed by religious. However, he went on to say that there is still a pastoral role to be played in such hospitals where people deal with death and serious illness the time when, of course, they come looking for God. In the same interview, Archbishop Martin said that he felt it was time for the young generation of church leaders to take over. Where will these come from? Last week, my parish in Leitrim lost one of its three wonderful priests to another very lucky parish. We hope that he'll be replaced, but the trend is pointing to more lay involvement. We are the church, all of us, so if we wanted to continue, we're all going to have to step up. I read a book by an American Catholic that said if just one or two percent more people in parishes took an active role in the parish, it would completely transform it. It said that roughly about seven percent of people are what you'd call highly engaged in their local church or parish. Now, my old media is very quickly being superseded by new media. On Facebook and Instagram, anyone can have their own news feed. We were told that social media would bring us all much closer together, build campaigns, even overthrow undemocratic regimes. Now, however, we're seeing that there's downsides too. What you put online stays online long after you wish it wouldn't. Young people are being bullied online by hurtful comments. This all happening at nighttime because social media it's 24-7, it never shuts down. People have taken their lives for things that were said or rumors that were put online. 40% of young people were told are talking to strangers online every day. 50% of young people are made to feel that they're just simply not good enough. I do worry for my children and I feel a huge responsibility to try and teach them how to navigate this online world for their benefit while avoiding the dangers. And that is definitely not easy. If this is new media, I feel a little bit safer with my old media. We're all sick of Brexit, but at least I think Irish newspapers broadcast 
broadcasters and papers continue to highlight homelessness, inequalities in our health and education services, and the plight of refugees here and abroad. In fact, I would spend a lot of my time covering the same issues that the church worldwide is concerned with. I know I can do much better instead of simply highlighting problems, which is easy enough to do. I am now trying to seek out people who believe that they have some solutions. Earlier this year, I interviewed the mother of a 21-year-old girl who had taken her life as a result of online and in-person bullying. Instead of shutting herself away and grieving, she's now working flat out every day to try and make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. Before I go, let me just tell you a little bit about America, where I spent the first 13 years of this current century. I travelled across the States and I wrote a book at the time called Alleluia America, which was really looking at all the different religious groups that coexist in the United States, evangelical, Mormon, Jewish, Amish, Muslim. I went to see the famous evangelist Billy Graham and I met a fella in Kansas who had declared himself to be the Pope. More than us, Americans just love to talk about their faith. I found that young people use their church there as a way to bond, to make friends, to make music. There's always food, there's always some kind of a church outing. Last week on holidays, I attended mass in a place called Arlington Heights, Illinois. In the bulletin, I spied an ad for holy yoga, bring your yoga mat and say a few prayers. I like that. There was also a group for men they could go to the pub in the evening, have a drink, and talk about issues that were important to them, say a few prayers. I hope to see more of that in the future. The church is a place that you go to with family, but I believe that it does need to speak to each group within the family, the young people in particular, otherwise they do tend to become disengaged. We're all on this great journey of life, but each person is at a different stage. What you say to a young person, it, it does not mean the same as to an old person. They see life and death very differently. I also hope in the future to see a more inclusive church. I noted in America how central the Holy Bible was to the Christian faith. In an Amish home in Pennsylvania, it was literally right in the middle of the living room on a pedestal like this, clearly the most important item in the house. And most hotel rooms, for those of you who have traveled there, they have a copy of the Holy Bible in the bedroom. I always found the Bible a bit of a daunting read with all that tiny little print and the, the dense paragraphs. So I keep this pack of cards that I just got in a, in a Christian shop with a line of Bible verse on each of them. The Bible is often called the good news. And being in media, I agree we could do with a lot more of that. So I'm just going to leave you with some good news for you. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. Thanks for listening.
So now at this point, we'd like to play um, the second talk that we recorded. This one was given by Olive Foley, who spoke on the theme Family and Faith. Olive is the mother of two young boys and wife of the late Anthony Foley, the Munster rugby coach who died suddenly in his sleep at the age of 42 in 2016. Olive is an ambassador for the Children's Grief Centre in Limerick, which offers support services for children who've lost a loved one. Again, we'll play a piece of music by the Maranatha singers entitled The Worship Song. And just to remind listeners that the recordings of all the ceremonies during the Divina at Knock, and indeed all ceremonies held in the Basilica at Knock, are available on the Knock Shrine YouTube channel. The scriptures point out to us something very <clears throat> important today that if something we lose something or more importantly we lose someone very close to us it grieves us deeply if you take for example Nora Corrin whose remains were found just a couple of days ago in Malaysia I think there isn't a heart in this country indeed all over the world that didn't go out before her remains were found that wished she would be found and can you imagine the distraught nature of her poor parents at this time, coming to terms with that in a foreign land, not knowing the language or the local customs and culture and all the rest, coming to terms with that alone is something, but having lost somebody like that, it cuts to the core, cuts to the quick, and it makes you realise what is so important. And here we have our Lord lost for two days and his frantic parents looking for him, and they find him. And they were so overcome when they saw him. You can take that line. It's so overcome when they saw him. You can imagine the relief. You, all you who are parents and grandparents here today who imagine that of your own child. So overcome. And his mother said to him, My child, why have you done this to us? We were looking for you. And then he replied, Did you not know I must be busy with my father's affairs? Now, as I always say, if that was an Irish mother, I'm sure he'd get something in the ear for, for, for doing something like that. Some word would be said in the ear uh, for saying something like that. But you can imagine the distraught nature of Mary and Joseph. And then, uh, but the delight again at finding somebody. And that whole nature of someone who was lost and is found. The scriptures are clear with that to us today, that we find our true treasure in looking for the Lord. The Lord helps us to cope at important stages in our lives. That's our faith. He's there with us. He's here with us now. And I suppose to tie in that and to maybe develop this theme of grief, of loss, and of faith, we have as our guest speaker this afternoon, Olive Foley. I'd like to express my gratitude to you, Father Gibbons, for this opportunity to be present here with you today and to stand before you and tell my story. Telling my story is often daunting and it's difficult, but I find that it helps with healing. And I hope that I can give a little light hope to maybe somebody here who's going through difficult, difficult uh, circumstances and might be encouraged or find a bit of inspiration. 
being here in Knock today brings back fond memories of my childhood. I was brought up in Scariff in East Clare. My mother and my father and my brothers and my sister who are here today with me would pack up the car, make sure we had enough sandwiches for the day trip to Knock. While as a child, I may have indeed taken my Catholic upbringing for granted. It was in my later teens as a boarder in the Presentation Convent in Thurlis that I began to feel a deeper connection with God. My favourite part of the day was daily Mass at 7am. My old school friends would still remind me of my enthusiasm rushing to the school chapel. My faith at this time began to flourish and I began to appreciate my faith and I began to trust in God. My journey took me from school to college, then onto a career in banking, where I spent many years traveling all over Munster with Bank of Ireland. I met Anthony in my early 20s. We were married a couple of years later, July 1999. I just celebrated our 20-year anniversary sadly without him. But I celebrated with our two sons, Tony and Dan, and we celebrated as we, how we thought best. Anthony was better known as Axel. He was a professional rugby player, playing for Munster in Ireland. After a successful playing career, filled with many achievements, Heineken Cup finals and triple crowns, he retired in 2008. He immediately joined the coaching team with Munster Rugby until taking up the position of head coach in 2014. On the 16th of October 2016, a day I will never forget, at home, it was a usual weekend for me. I went about my normal day with an air of excitement because Anthony was in Paris with the Munster team. It was the first round of the European Champions Cup and they were due to play racing Metro in the afternoon. But before every game, the players and coaches would meet for pre-match breakfast. Anthony failed to show up for this breakfast, which would have been very out of character for him. But it wasn't until he didn't show up for line-out training after that that the management and team became concerned. Unaware of what was going on, back in Ireland at home with the children, we were having our usual Sunday morning routine. Forevermore, I will never forget what it felt like to hear the news that Anthony had in fact died in his sleep. The moments and hours and days that followed this will be the most devastating and truly heartbreaking moments our families would have to face. I never could have imagined that I would have had to prepare and deliver a eulogy from my husband's funeral mass at age 42. But I spoke about our family life, about our home being a haven for the important things. I believe Anthony had wonderful values and our home with our boys was idyllic. 
At home in Killaloo, throughout our community and wider, there was a huge affection for Anthony. He was a very ordinary man. He was a big man in a tough game. He always played and coached with heart and passion. He was respected as he went about his business with humility, treating all around him with respect and kindness. Anthony comported himself in such a way that people around him could relate to him. They had a bond with him. And it's fair to say he was an idol to many, but nowhere was he idolized more than at home. As a hands-on dad to our children, he took interest in everything they did and was involved in every aspect of their lives, despite his huge workload and commitment to rugby. He touched many lives, and I believe he has left a great legacy. I know that many of you here, not all of you, have experienced grief, and mine is no greater than any of yours. Losing Anthony created a void in our lives that's simply impossible to fill. It is said that grief is difficult because it is the last act of love. Where there is a great, deep grief, there is a great love. In losing Anthony, I lost my husband, and my confidant, and my best friend. But perhaps the most heartbreaking of all, I lost the father of our two young boys. Tony was just 11, Dan was only eight. During the darkest days after Anthony's death, I found much comfort in my faith. I wouldn't like to pretend that there were not moments when I was angry. I was angry at Anthony because he had died, and I was angry with God because he'd taken him. But grief is like the ocean. It comes in waves, ebbing and flowing. Sometimes the waters are calm, and sometimes so overwhelming that staying afloat is a struggle. But the angry moments are followed by peace and comfort. I always felt God's presence in, my, in many ways, in the support that I got from my family, from Anthony's family, and from my wonderful friends. There was always someone at my door, and I was not afraid to ask for help. I had two grieving children that needed me to be everything for them. They say that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, I have proven that this proverb most certainly applies to a grieving family. There was always a lift to the hurling field or to the scout hall, or dinner on a friend's table. In the days after Anthony's death, our son Tony came up with a tribute idea for his dad. He would invite people to attend Mass each Sunday from October to Christmas, starting on his dad's birthday, the 30th of October, and invited them to pray for their loved ones who had died, and that they may too include their dad in their prayers. So the idea was formed, and the Facebook page set up and the news began to spread. It was hashtag eight masses for number eight. And the number eight holds a very special meaning in our family. Uh, Anthony wore the number eight jersey playing for club, province and country. But that eight masses tribute 
reached over 160,000 people in over 500 countries worldwide. We were propped up with support from around the world, joining us in prayer. The messages of love and the support and the volume of hope was a privilege that we were no more entitled to than anyone else who has lost a loved one. But I believe that all this was God's work reminding us that he is with us. In the face of such great loss or adversity, it is easy to lose faith and to doubt your beliefs. But this comes from a place of deep sorrow. The pain we feel can indeed make us question. But I really truly believe we experience God's work through all the kindnesses to the people that come to your side and simply say, I am sorry for your loss. Before Anthony's death, I could never have imagined being able to come here and speak to you. In the face of awful tragedy, I have discovered another possibility in life. His death has opened up a door and this may give me the strength to maybe help others even in the smallest of ways. This is an unexpected yet comforting outcome. It has been almost three years now since Anthony died. God didn't promise us a world without pain or suffering, but he did promise us strength for the day and comfort during our sorrow and light along the way. And I'm very grateful for that. It's lovely being here, and thank you very much for listening to me. So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined on the other end of the Skype line by Shane Ambrose. And this is the Battered program where we share and we read and reflect on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel. Before that, there's a prayer before we read and reflect on Scripture, and Shane's going to pray that prayer for us this morning. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. 
May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So there, the Gospel for today, which is, as Shane said earlier on, the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time, is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Now, we're going to take the shorter version today. It's chapter 15, verse 1 to 10. The tax collectors and sinners were all seeking the company of Jesus to hear what he had to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. This man, they said, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. What man among you with a hundred sheep losing one would not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the missing one until he found it? And when he found it, would he not joyfully take it on his shoulders? And then, when he got home, called his friends and neighbours. Rejoice with me, he, he would say. I have found my sheep that was lost. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over ninety-nine virtuous men who have no need of repentance. Or again, what woman with ten drachmas would not, if she had lost one, light a lamp and sweep out the house and search thoroughly till she found it? And then when she'd found it, called together her friends and neighbours. Rejoice with me, she would say. I have found the drachma, I lost. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing among the angels of God over one repentant sinner. So that's the Gospel for today, the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time from uh, the Gospel of Luke. Shane, a few thoughts you might want to share with us, please? Yeah, I suppose um, the, gospel, the part of this Gospel that we didn't read is actually the, the, the prodigal son, the return of the prodigal son. So it's, it's three parables that Luke presents where Jesus was in, I suppose, conversation with the scribes and the Pharisees, and to a certain degree he was challenging them because they were looking down their nose at the, the people that he was hanging around with. And I suppose that there was a couple of things, I suppose, that struck me about this, this gospel. One was the fact, I suspect this is probably one of uh, Pope Francis's more favorite uh, gospels, because he very much talks about reaching out to those on the peripheries, which, of course, was what Jesus was trying to do here when he was challenging uh, the, 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 the Pharisees. The second thing that struck me about this gospel was very much the whole theme and idea of lost and found. And for me, I think that's something that maybe we could stay with for a, a while this week, because we live in a world, I suppose, where many people are considered lost. They're lost because maybe they have an addiction, they're homeless, uh, they're not seen as kind of being proper members of society, in inverted commas. You know, they're lost because they might have an illness of some kind that's looked down upon or that people don't understand. And there's also those that are lost because they're cut out by community, they're cut out by family. Um, perhaps they feel cut out by the church. Um, you know, that's something we have to we have to be honest about as well. And I think for me, this, this, this week, the gospel was very much a reminder to us that God looks out for those that are lost. He looks after the missing sheep. That's the great, I suppose that's one of the great um, titles or the great analogies that is given to Jesus um, right back in the history of the church. If you go to the catacombs in Rome, 
uh, some of the most ancient depictions of Jesus are as the good shepherd. Um, and that whole idea that he looks after his flock and that, you know, those that God himself will go out to seek those that are lost. And I think that's something that should be of encouragement to us um, this Sunday morning, that no matter how lost and alone that you feel, no matter how much you think you are cut off from maybe family or wider community or maybe even from the church, the, the, you know, the community of the church, that you are not alone, that we are not alone. Um, that in those moments of darkness, when, you know, walking, you know, taking that great line from Psalm 23, I, uh, do I walk to the valley of darkness? No evil will I fear. For you are there with your crook and your staff. With these you give me comfort. And I think for us this Sunday morning, that's probably something, maybe, John, that we can reflect on and maybe hopefully find a degree of consolation, um, you know, in, in, in our daily lives as, as, as we go through it in the coming few days. And I suppose then the other thing that just struck me about it as well was I love that idea of the woman cleaning out the house to find the missing coin. Um, my family would probably tell you I'm a small bit of a neat freak, so I can very much associate uh, with, with, with that woman uh, cleaning out the house and sorting things out. And, you know, uh, just as a kind of a as a as a kind of a jovial aside, September for many people is actually their new year. It's not January. It's, it's September because, as you know, we grow up because September is the start of the new school year. It's the start of when you go to college and all the rest of it. For me personally, over my life, it's generally been when I have moved careers or I've moved jobs. It's just the way it's worked out. So for me, September is more of a start to the new year than, than January actually ever is. And maybe that's an opportunity for us. We're, we're restarting. We're heading into the winter. So there's times it's going to get dark. The evening's are going to come in. But that means we're not rushing about necessarily. So maybe we have a bit more time to think about and to reflect uh, for those encounters with the divine that we need to make in our daily lives. Because while God will come seeking us when we are lost, we must always remember that we have to turn and meet him halfway. Shane, thanks so much for that. Um, you know those encouraging words. It's it's so often I think there are there are times when uh, we often don't realise how encouraging the gospel message is, and uh, we, we sometimes uh, take negative, however you can get negative slants from it. Just on my own few thoughts in regards to the gospel uh, this week and the reflections uh, again. I was at lecture the Vienna with Father Frank Duick uh, in Newcastle West. It's on every Monday night, 8.15 to 9.15, in the Pastoral Centre in Newcastle West. There's about 20 of us there. There's room for more. It's a beautiful hour where Father Frank breaks open the Gospel for us in ways that maybe we didn't anticipate the, the sort of thought w would come through to us from the Gospel. But this particular week, Father Frank just gently reminded us, you know, in the first paragraph, the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all seeking the company of Jesus to hear what he had to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. And you know, Father Frank was just reminding us like that, that today maybe we can ask ourselves two of the questions, two, two questions that come from, from, from today's Gospel. First of all, do we seek the company of Jesus to hear what he has to say? The sinners did and the uh, tax collectors did. Or are we like the Pharisees, do we know it all? 
So do we do we seek the the company of Jesus to hear what he has to say to us? Not what we want to say to him. Sometimes we we tend to spend some time with Jesus, but really what we're doing is not giving him a chance to get in. But but listen to Jesus the first thing. The second thing is, as Father Frank reminded us, the attitude of the Pharisees was that of hostility to sinners. And as Shane said, to outcasts and so on, and those who maybe haven't got what we have in society. The attitude of Jesus was to the sinners, mercy. Come with me, you know, the, the whole idea about the last sheep and so on and so forth. So maybe this week we can live with maybe those two little reflections. What is my attitude towards sinners? Am I merciful to them? Am I hostile to them? And then again, are we like the sinners? Uh, do we come to listen to Jesus during the week? Or are we going to tell him what we know? And we know it all. Just two thoughts. Again, Shane, thanks so much for those encouraging words you, you, you shared with us. Because again, I think it's so important for people to just recognise that the gospel does have encouraging words. But it also has challenging words, but encouraging words. This week, Shane just told us a few, a few little ideas maybe to take away from the encouraging side of things. Shane, that's why you're on. That's why you're back again. Thanks a lot. You're welcome to be back again. Thanks, John. And so at this particular week, we might go out with a final piece of music. And this one, somebody actually passed it on to me. It's by Cathy O'Hara, and it's entitled Solid Rock. So next week, um, have a good week, and we'll join you again next week, hopefully, same time, same place. God bless you all now. Bye. Bye.
your heart.